I'm Beth Bennett, and this is KGNU. And you're listening to How on Earth, the science show on this station. Today is Tuesday, September 10th, 2019. Coming up, an interview with Vicki Vargas Madrid, program administrator for the Denver Lights Out program, part of the city's sustainability program whose goal is to reduce bird dust resulting from collisions with windows. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. In adolescence, binge drinking is really bad. Even a single binge can kill brain cells and reduce the formation of new cells. This damage can permanently diminish memory, especially when it occurs in the hippocampus, the brain region that holds many crucial memory functions. Those adolescent rats who drank just one large dose of booze forgot tasks that they had recently learned compared to their sober counterparts, and some effects lasted through the adulthood of the rats. Yes, I did say rats. Rats have a brief but unmistakable period of adolescence, and alcohol researchers take advantage of this time to test the effects of alcohol on the developing brain. This is why scientists from Duke and the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, have used adolescent rats to test the ability of an Alzheimer's drug called Aricept to reverse the damage caused by alcohol in adolescent rats. Before we share the results of that test among the booze-drinking rats, let's talk a little about the drug Aricept and why it's used to treat Alzheimer's. Aricept works by blocking an enzyme that breaks down the neurotransmitter acetylcholine. When someone is healthy, acetylcholine helps the brain send essential memory-building signals. Some researchers believe that the memory loss of Alzheimer's is caused, at least in part, by a deficiency in the body's production of acetylcholine. Doctors prescribe Aricept to help acetylcholine hang around longer, in hopes that this might help memory improve. Because there's some evidence that Aricept can improve short-term memory in early cases of dementia. The researchers wondered how it would work when the memory loss comes from alcohol consumption. In rats, that is. The answer is, it did work. In adult rats who'd been given high doses of alcohol as adolescents, Aricept actually reversed the damage caused by having given the rats alcohol when they were adolescents. The researchers don't suggest that Aricept could be beneficial for people who may have lingering effects of overdoing alcohol in their teens, but they do say that they are identifying the mechanisms by which Aricept is reversing the damage and that understanding these processes could help treat alcoholism. This study was published last week in the journal Nature Scientific Reports. For more research about adolescence, a study published last week in the Journal of School Health looks at how dating affects the emotional, interpersonal, and adaptive skills in teenagers. Previous research identified four distinct dating trajectories from 6th to 12th grade, low, increasing, high in middle school, and frequent. The purpose of this study was to examine how 10th graders in the low dating group differed compared to youth in the other trajectories. The sample consisted of about 600 10th graders and compared the four dating groups using teacher ratings of the students' social skills, leadership, and depression, and also used student self-reports about relationships with friends and family, depression, and suicidal thoughts. The study found that students in the low dating group had significantly higher teacher ratings of social skills and leadership compared to the other groups. 
Self-reports of positive relationships and suicidal thoughts did not differ by dating groups, but teacher and student ratings of depression were significantly lower in the low dating group. Overall, it seems that adolescents who were not in a romantic relationship had good social skills and low depression, and fared better or equal to peers who dated. These results refute the notion that non-daters are maladjusted or have poor social skills. The researchers recommend that health promotion in schools should include non-dating as one option of healthy development for teens. Now, are you a lefty? That is, are you left-handed? Are about one out of 10 of your friends left-handed? That would be consistent with a 1977 study that found about 10% of the world's population has moderate to strong left-handedness, which has been the case for at least 10,000 years. A study from 2012 suggested that lefties are rare because of the balance between cooperation and competition in human evolution. It's been known that there's a genetic link to left-handedness, but finding the genetic source has proven to be elusive. Now, a new study has, for the first time, identified regions of the genome associated with left-handedness and linked their brains, or linked their effects with brain architecture, particularly in the connections between areas of the brain related to language. The researchers identified some of the genetic variants associated with left-handedness by analyzing the genomes of about 400,000 people, which included over 38,000 lefties. Of the four genetic regions they identified, Three of these were associated with proteins involved in brain development and structure. In particular, these proteins were related to the cytoskeleton, which is the part inside the cell that guides the construction and functioning of the cell. Using detailed brain imaging from approximately 10,000 of these participants, the researchers found that these genetic effects were associated with differences in brain structure in white matter, which contain the cytoskeleton of the brain that joins the language-related regions. In left-handed participants, the language areas of the brain communicate with each other in a more coordinated way. Could this mean that left-handers might have an advantage when it comes to performing verbal tasks? That could be an interesting topic for future research. The research point, researchers pointed out that these differences were only seen as averages over very large numbers of people and not all lefties are alike. This research was published last week in the journal Brain. And finally, on the local front, if you can't make it to campus to visit the CU Museum of Natural History, their educators bring free hands-on activities, teaching materials, and activities to local fairs and festivals for all ages to enjoy. You can visit their booth at the Boulder Farmer's Market this Saturday to learn all about the importance of pollinators. So thanks for joining us in the studio. And let's start off by talking about the program, the Lights Out program, and how that relates to the city of Denver and um, just what you're doing about this epidemic of bird deaths. Okay. Um, thanks for having me. Um, so the Lights Out Denver program um, is just recently being launched. Um, it is actually um, a, a natural progression uh, to bird conservation uh, just a little bit about uh, how it came about. Denver was actually designated um, in October of 2014 as one of 21 cities across the United States that was selected by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service as an urban bird treaty city. And um, did you what say that bird? program is about... Sorry, did you urban, say bird treaty? Uh-huh. So there's an a urban bird with the treaty government? city. Oh, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
with the federal government, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And it's a program that supports city partners in conserving birds and their habitats. Um, and it, it focuses on bird education, uh, bird hazard reductions, citizen science projects, and conservation actions, uh, as well as uh, conservation and habitat improvements uh, within your city. So it just made sense um, for Lights Out to, uh, to be a part of, uh, of the Urban Bird Treaty City program, um, which is how it became uh, a program. So the Lights Out um, program is really aimed at helping local businesses save energy, money, um, and migratory birds by promoting bird-safe buildings and reducing nighttime lighting. Okay, so that's how uh, it ties into the sustainability, is that there is an energy conservation aspect and that um, it's been expanded to uh, protect urban birds in Denver. Yes. And so tell us how turning lights out protects birds. Well, birds uh, tend to, uh, during the migration season, there's two seasons that we focus on, which is the spring season, which is roughly around um, March, April, and May. Uh, and then we have fall season, which is just started September through around November. Um, so that's the time when birds are migrating. And um, birds will migrate. They, they fly at night. So uh, it's it's important for, there's a lot of other different types of, of hazards that birds run into, um, but cities are a big hazard just because of the tall buildings, um, the lighted types of buildings uh, with all the lights uh, in the buildings that create reflection and create hazards for birds. Um, it, it, nearly one billion migratory birds die from colliding with man-made structures throughout North America. So Denver is not the first uh, city to uh, create a lights-out program. There's other cities that are doing it, and um, Denver is now trying to get that program started due to the millions, billions of migratory birds that die from building collisions. Yeah, that's just an amazing number that close to a billion birds could be protected. Yeah. And I, I'm guessing, too, that in addition to the collisions, the um, the light pollution screws up their some of their migratory cues and That's disrupts right. migration, which might not result in bird death, but definitely has a harmful impact on the birds. That's right. Yes, it does. So do you yes, have... And so, uh -huh. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's fine. You can ask me the question. So, okay. Um, I also have a question. Do you have uh, statistics on how much... Um, energy is being saved by your program, you know, how much people are actually cooperating with the program? No, not at this time. Um, we hope to gather some of that information as our program moves forward. Um, part of one of the phases, um, can I just talk about the different phases yeah, of the program? Yeah, please do. Okay, so the first phase is, the first, is where we're at now, where we are um, developing a group of volunteers, which are our citizen scientists, um, to actually get on the ground and collect that data, collect um, information about what types of birds are colliding um, with buildings, which types of buildings are, are more susceptible to bird collisions and hazards, um, and, and, and then also rescuing injured birds. So that, that, that's our first phase. That's the phase that we're in now, just getting our folks out on the ground and 
um, collecting and recording that information. Um, that's one of the challenges of this program. We're just in the infancy of it, which is developing those relationships with build, building owners and property owners um, to make them aware that their building could potentially be a hazard to migratory birds. Um, so the first phase is, is getting our volunteers, which we're doing now, and then collecting that data. And then, of course, our second phase um, goes into developing those relationships with the building, with buildings and business owners um, to help us grow this project to take interest and, and awareness of how they can mitigate those, um, those types of hazards that birds are, are facing. Um, and just how, and what can they do? What exactly can they do or what can all of us so, do to mitigate some of those hazards associated with windows? Yes. Well, our hope is for them to turn their lights off at night during the migration season. So not, you know, those who, who find it challenging or think that it's a, a, a too difficult to turn their lights off year-round, we're, we're simply asking during migratory um, seasons, which is the fall and migration seasons that I mentioned earlier, um, and then hopefully, ideally, they would turn them off year-round. But for now, we're, we're just hoping that they would at least turn them off during the migration season. <clears throat> and it helps birds and saves businesses money and hopefully bolster an eco-friendly marketing um, campaign to decrease greenhouse gas emissions. Um, you know, we don't have, like you, the question you asked about, do we have data um, as far as uh, how much money businesses can um, uh, uh, save, we don't have that kind of information, but we hope that as our program moves forward that that information could could be a part of this program, and, and hopefully those business owners can share that information with us yeah, as it's, they get involved. It seems, it seems like it could be a pretty substantial savings. I mean, that's a good mm -hmm. portion of the 24-hour day that the lights would be turned off, and we know right. that electric... Um, energy use contributes a fair amount, um, not only to total energy budget, but also to greenhouse gas emissions. Right, 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 right. Yeah, and then our uh, third phase is hopefully um, legislation and ordinances for buildings and, and property owners, you know, to create more bird-friendly infrastructures or developments, um, and, uh, and then... Throughout each of these phases, we will continue to monitor our streets of Denver and collect that information and, and just keep developing more and more uh, um, data to support the program. And I've read that some communities have already initiated those kinds of municipal ordinances, so on a, on a small scale, probably not on the state scale at this point. Right, right, yes. And, and so have you come across preliminary data from other sources, like maybe fish and wildlife, showing that some bird species are more susceptible to this kind of mortality? Um, there's a, we do have some, just information that, uh, we've, that they've shared with us that shows that, of course, it's, it's, there's a large range of migratory bird species that collide um, that face these hazards during the migration season. So um, just to mention, you know, I mean, you can go from sparrows and swallows and um, doves and, and um, uh, uh, just a load of, of bird species that 
collide with buildings. So they're they're they don't discriminate. These buildings don't discriminate. <laughs> That's true. All migratory <laughs> birds that fly through our cities are susceptible to to these hazards. Yeah, and even birds that aren't migrating. I mean, I'm sure all of us have either heard a bird fly into our windows or found a bird lying outside of mm-hmm. our windows at some point. And right. it's, it's just so sad. I always feel terrible. Although sometimes I have seen them to knock themselves out and then, you know, after a few minutes, get up, fly off. Yes, yes. And, and that is, is pretty common. Um, not every bird that hits a, a structure is going to, to die. Um, we're thankfully for that. They do hit it, and it will knock them out for a bit. And, um, and you know, we experience that on our, some of our routes, uh, finding injured birds and um, give them a, an hour or two and they're up and back in the sky. So, um, Right, yeah. right. To our listeners that are just joining us, I'm speaking with Vicki Vargas Madrid, Program Administrator for the Denver Lights Out Program. She's describing the work the program does to reduce, reduce bird dust that result from them flying into windows. And f- tell us a little bit about what the volunteers in your program are doing. So we are, um, our volunteers are uh gathering information, so they're walking uh, some routes. The routes that we have chosen are routes where the majority of our tall buildings in the city lie, uh, are built, and uh, our volunteers work in teams, walk the streets of downtown Denver, and gather data on any birds that they find, deceased birds as well as injured birds. Um, The deceased birds, well, both deceased and live birds, uh, that information is collected on data sheets. Um, and then injured birds are um, picked up and, um, and taken to uh, wildlife rehabilitator centers, rehabilitation centers. Um, and so that's the majority of, of the tasks that our volunteers are doing. They're patrolling the streets and monitoring these areas for deceased and, and injured birds, rescuing them and, and um taking them to rehabilitators when necessary. And then, of course, this information will be gathered. Our partners in this program is Denver Audubon, Denver Museum of Nature and Science, um, Bird Conservancy of the Rockies, Community College of Denver, uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and the Greenwood Wildlife Rehabilitation Center. So all of these partners are helping us with this effort. Um, and um, so far, so good. It's yeah, you have a good... well. Like I said, we're just in the infancy of it, but um, we we really have high hopes for. Yeah, that's very exciting. You have a great list of collaborators, and how I yeah. will I will post a link to your website on our show website. Um, how can people get involved with you? Um, if anybody is interested in in volunteering, they can contact me directly or. Um, my intern, Alex Halverson, he is um, the hero of this whole program, actually. He has helped us get it going. Um, it, it's a program that we have been wanting to, uh, that Denver Parks has been wanting to um, get started for many years, um, ever since the designation of a, the Urban Bird Treaty City. So um, we're glad that, he, that he's um, helping us on this effort and getting it going, and um, our volunteers are Future volunteers can contact me or Alex Halverson. Um, and my email address is vicki, V-I-C-K-I, dot 
vargas-madrid at denvergov.org. And Alex is alex.halverson at denvergov.org. And I will post those addresses on our website as well. And I was also really pleased to see on your program description that the birds that do die when they crash into these windows, their lives aren't completely wasted because you donate the bodies to the Denver Museum of Natural History and that they can be then used in educational programs. What are some of those, what are some of those programs that they use them for? Um, That I'm not aware of. Uh, I mean, I know they do use them for programs. School programs actually go out to the museum and um, are, they use the specimens to help folks and learn about the variety of different migratory birds and, and identification of different birds. Um, but specific programs, I'm not aware okay. of. Okay, okay. I just yeah, remember when I took... The museum about yeah, <laughs> when I took ornithology as an undergraduate, our professor collected dead birds from the side of the road, and those are uh-huh. the birds we used for dissections. And it was such a great yeah. way to... Um, you know, get a little value from the the tragedy that they had lost their lives when they were hit by cars. And so now when I ride my bike along the side of the road and I see a dead bird, I try to pick it up and um, take it to the ornithology department at the University in Boulder. Oh, yes, that's great. That's great. Yeah, the museum is kind of the center, the, the primary folks who collect a variety of different species, not just bird species, but a variety of wildlife species and plant species and so forth for for a variety of reasons. So, Right. Well, this is such a fantastic program. I'm so glad to hear that you all are doing that. Um, do you have any... Well, thank, you. Um, thank you. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. Do you have any last comments about, you know, where you are in the program now and where you anticipate being, like, in a year from now? Well, um, it's hard to say where we'll be in a year. Our hope is um, if things move quickly along and and we get, uh, uh, we meet our goals of the the three different phases that I mentioned, uh, especially our relationships with uh, buildings and business owners um, to just to bring that awareness out and uh, and work with them in, in hopefully reducing the number of bird collisions in our city um, is is a would be a great thing um, for this program. But but long term, yes, legislation and uh, and um, ordinances uh, would would be our ultimate goal for this to make Denver a bird friendly city. Yeah, well, I sure hope that pans out and um, that we get some legislation to protect birds. Yes. Okay. Well, thank yeah. you for talking to us this morning, Vicki. And um, like I said, I will post a link to the website, and hopefully you'll get some volunteers from our show today. You're welcome, and thanks for having me. Um, thanks for your interest, and um, hopefully it will bring awareness to Lights Out Denver and uh, Migratory Bird Conservation. Absolutely. So thanks, have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Okay.
That was Vicky Vargas Madrid, Program Administrator for the Lights Out Program of Denver, discussing their efforts to reduce bird mortality following collisions with windows. And if you want to get more information or even volunteer for them, go to our How on Earth website and you can get more details there. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is me, Beth Bennett, and I produced and engineered this week's show with additional contributions from Joel Parker. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Birds, recorded by John Lawson. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Beth Bennett.